So welcome to today's uh, masterclass. Uh, very good of all our attendees to join today. Um, the title of today's session is Designing Digital Experiences to Drive Repeat Sales Online. Um, and uh, today you've got um, myself, Paul Mallet. I'm Managing Partner at MediaWorks in Leeds. Uh, we've got Andy Blankensop, Creative Director up at HQ Newcastle. Becca Tredgett, who's uh, Head of Strategic Planning, also down at MediaWits and Leeds. And Craig Bailey, who's Head of Development, also up in Newcastle. So, crack team today. So, um, it should be a good session. So, I think... Um, you know, as, as with all these things, we've we've kind of prepared a bit of a structure that we're going to walk through. And, you know, if you've got any any of the attendees have got any questions, please drop them in the Q&A box at the bottom of the Zoom window, and we will do our best to uh, answer them if we feel like we've got a good answer for it. Otherwise, we'll just ignore you. No, we won't. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we, we talk to you. Um, so, yeah, but make it interactive. It uh, makes, makes it more fun for all of us. Um, so I guess background to, um, well, you know, what's been going on in the world. So Mintel has just published a load of um, research kind of post-pandemic and um, they're saying that, the you know, just in 2020, because they haven't got the full numbers for 2021 yet, but there was a 45% increase in online sales in the UK and that took us up to £111 billion in 2020 and all the signs are is that that is not going anywhere. Um, because at the same time, um, and uh, PwC has you know done some research into this, but um, you know the the number of uh, you know bricks and mortar stores, chain stores closures increased by thirty percent in twenty twenty. So um, you know people are, are are kind of moving off the high street, shopping online, um, and I think also you know there's there's. There's some really interesting stuff going on that um, not only are people shopping online, but, they, but they're shopping in different ways. You know, we've seen kind of Deliveroo starting to deliver groceries. We've seen kind of makeup brands doing things on Deliveroo. You know, all, the, all these different ways of, of, of buying products. And, um, you know, the latest trend that everyone's talking about um, is kind of when you combine social commerce with live streaming and get ready for a new buzzword that you're all going to be using in your next meeting, and that's entertainment. So it's kind of commerce meets entertainment. And um, according to the latest Global Web Index study, 29% of consumers are saying that an entertaining shopping experience would encourage them to purchase um, from, from, from a store. So there's lots going on and, you know, it's always about innovating, but it's also about, you know, making sure that you, you're really solid with, you, with, with your thinking around this. And I know in previous sessions, we've looked at the performance marketing side of things, and, but today we're going to be really talking about the experience and, and, and the customer experience within your store. So, and, um, you know, why, why do you think it's a particularly good time to talk about it today? Um, so we've got our run up to Christmas. Um, it's kind of being forecast that um, people are going to be spending over £200 billion online um, this Christmas. Um, and, you know, it, it's a run up to Christmas as well. We've got Black Friday, we've got Cyber Monday. Um, and, you know, and then you've got the actual Christmas purchasing. All of these being really good opportunities to get new customers into your stores. Um, and... I guess the critical question is: Once you've got them through there, um, how do, how do you keep them there? And you know, we we know that if you're going to try and get a new customer, 
it's between five and 25 times more expensive than, than retaining the ones that you've got. So how do we kind of navigate through this world of um, retaining people, getting new customers in? That's the challenge that we kind of thought we'd, we'd go through today. So to kick off, um, over to you, Andy. Thank you, Paul. Good intro. Strong intro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's we've kind of, yeah, we've been speaking a lot around kind of the importance of, improved overall customer experience and the fact that consumers are putting it at like they're putting it equally as important up there with, with price you know everybody's driven by price essentially but customer experience has kind of been this thing to, to do in a way where actually you know the, the better your customer experience and the more likely you are to build you know lightly with customers you know and the reoccurring purchase so i think there was a few things that i wanted to, to cover off and i think we often come in here and we, we talk around the fact that you know, 97% of people that don't enjoy a, 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 their customer experience online will abandon your website. And I think, we, you know, we talk around very, the way we can improve things by an improved UX, the way that we can kind of make sure that um, conversion is really seamless and frictionless. You, you go to your checkout, you go to your forms, and you can optimize that kind of initial conversion. But what I wanted to try and highlight here is just to kind of almost try and lift lift up a little bit and look at the overall experience of what it's like to buy from you online and and actually start looking at some of the more bigger fundamental things that we need to do for people to kind of create a, a more convenient experience because i think when we talk around an improved customer experience i think a lot of it is convenience and i think that the convenience of purchasing and how easy that is is one of the biggest drivers for like repeat purchases and actually that goes right down into some of the like the, the bigger things on your website, like ways to pay, right? So I've been in a few meetings recently and we've been spoken, like speaking around building, you know, a payment gateway or how people pay. And actually there's so many options out there now that make payment easy. And you hear a lot of people make, you know, throwaway comments of, oh, I just buy it on my phone because it's just that easy. You know, and that's what we're trying to achieve. We want people to say that about our brand and our experience. I buy because it's easy. I buy because it's convenient. And actually, it doesn't get in the way of a very busy life. So I think even making sure your, you know, your, your checkouts and the way that you buy are optimized for all of the different payment types, you know, Apple Pay, Android Pay, the rise of Klarna and Clearpay, I think Clearpay and PayPal's kind of structured payments are a huge way to increase conversion rate because it's easy. It's another way that a certain kind of audience will want to pay. I think, you know, subscriptions, I, I think you don't really hear that much. And I suppose because only certain people have replenishables and subscription only makes sense. But actually offering a subscription service is a great way to build that repeat custom on a first purchase. So actually identifying ways to offer it is a, is a really big thing. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to touch on um, was the idea of like distribution and fulfillment. And actually the this idea of making it convenient and customer expectation changing. And I think everybody's been getting a lot of deliveries, you know, during the pandemic, but actually they became even more... Oh, how, how, not want to say impatient, but actually, you know, because you've got some huge brands that are able able to fulfil in ridiculously short spaces of time, you know, then you've got to catch up. You've got to make sure that you're able to fulfil your product in a similar kind of nature. So, you know, we click and collect is one thing, and I think we started with next day. Now it's same day, which just blows my mind. Becca, I can see you nodding. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can do two hour as well now on Amazon Prime in London, aren't you, in some places? I mean, it's going to be instant soon. And I think 
you know, that idea of actually making it convenient to have your product put through your front door, Amazon Prime and Amazon Fresh, you know, speaking to somebody yesterday in a client meeting who was ordering, you know, fairy liquid using Alexa through Amazon because it was just easy and convenient. And then we went, then went on to a conversation around actually, you know, this fulfillment, but then actually returns policy, you know, actually the ASOS loyalty scheme, which we'll touch on a little bit, is all around unlimited returns because it's convenient. And actually that idea of looking at a long-term to generate revenue from customers is really interesting as opposed to just looking for a delivery charge, et cetera. So I think the fulfillment and payment is a huge, a huge thing that can really add massive value if you make sure you're doing it right. And I think I, I, when we were chatting earlier about this, because I think people, you know, have this suspicion that people are going to feel, you know, do, should people be feeling guilty about ordering a bottle of fairy liquid off Amazon? And we were talking about this, going like, surely, the, the, you know, it's bad for the planet. But you know, it's really, really interesting stuff that that Amazon truck is going to be out there anyway, making 500 deliveries. And, um, you know, that prevents 500 people going into town, going to a supermarket, buying a product, coming back. So it's quite an interesting one as to uh, whether this new way of shopping um, is actually not too bad for the planet as well. Yeah, I made the assumption, didn't I, that it was really bad until you and Becca quite rightly put it right. And actually, it's not. But that was to make you feel better, Becca. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think combining all of them as well. So if you think about, I just think about ASOS, you know, people will buy maybe dresses in three sizes on ASOS using Klarna, then you've got the really easy returns and all of that built together is a much better experience than having to go to a shop and getting changed in a sweaty, you know, changing room and then having to queue up for ages and return it. And you can kind of see why, why you would do that now. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah, convenience wins over everything. Um, so, um, and, and I think, uh, Craig, did you want to chip in um, about, you know, once we've kind of persuaded someone to make a, a kind of first purchase, you know, all these things about convenience, paying, availability of product, delivery, all that kind of thing, um, you, you were going to jump in with this point here. Can you hear us, Craig? You got mute. Yeah, apologies everyone. Can you hear me? Okay, I'm having a couple yeah. of audio issues. Um, yeah, so what we, what I was then going to sort of focus on, guys, to be honest, was then using like the actual customer data and, and like algorithms to make like really clever product recommendations um, in regards to personalizations. Um, you know, you you would have experienced this by using like large e-commerce sites like Amazon and stuff like that, but it can be done a much smaller scale. Um, you know, real-time recommendations are really, really powerful and they help drive repeat business. Um, these online retailers use things called like graph databases, which are really, really powerful, um, but can be quite simplistic. And it's just a method of basically determining um, recommendations for end users based on other people's buying habits. So if I buy a product, Andy buys a product, they will know there's some sort of match there. And if I buy something else, Andy might like that. So that's a way there of just sort of personalizing recommendations for people and trying to drive that return business. Um, then also it's worth you know breaking down your audiences and understanding when you know a second person is most likely on the hundreds of different data points um, going to engage with you again, um, and just make sure that you've got your sort of plan in place there to to push them on at the right time. Yeah, great. Uh, you can see that people could have quite a lot of fun trying to um, spam those kind of graph databases um, and buying unusual combinations of products just to see what would happen. Or maybe that's just me. Paul as well, I know we spoke around kind of product bundling as well and making it easy to bundle products together. Um, 
our, again, was in a client meeting the other day and we were talking around, you know, yes, and you always used to have, you know, people like this also buy that. And then you, you would have to move through multiple pages to build a basket. And, you know, I think more than, more often than I thought when I'm, you know, I was going on and, you know, you buy bedding where, you know, you need the fitted sheet as well as the, the pillows, as well as the duvet cover and actually creating that seamless, like kind of one page experience to create bundles of products that are likely bought together is a real way to kind of increase average order value on first purchase, but it, it just feels easier to buy. And I think that, you know, making it easy to buy by jet, like creating good experiences that are a bit more engaging, give you a bit of feedback is really going to help. I bought some, like we keep mentioning ASOS, but I think it was, I was buying pajamas at Christmas and it was kind of given all the variations on one page instead of having multiple product pages because it was like you would buy the set. You know, and I think that again helps with the initial purchase, but it, it just makes it easier. Yeah, and I think that you know we talked about convenience, but there's also kind of a bit of delight as well. And um, you know, we were talking earlier about you. Well, you just mentioned it then about bundling, so you can do kind of bundling for gifting. And I think I think it's quite interesting that that um, you know if you're a manufacturer or a retailer and you're looking at different products to bundle together then that can be a great idea for gifting for Christmas you know whatever it takes a lot of um, hassle out of things but um, you know and, and then if you're selling through Amazon you can then put together virtual bundles so you don't actually get everything gift wrapped but you get a load of products that, that really sit well together so I think that, that whole area is, um, is dead interesting um, and I also think that you know if we've got anyone who's on, on today but also listen to, to us later that might sell through third-party retailers but you're looking at what whether you should sell direct whether you should go direct to consumer um you, you you know that that is a very good place where you can add a lot of value and delight by putting together exclusives and exclusive bundles exclusive products that kind of thing um and, and, and also, you know, the, the one advantage that direct-to-consumer generally has is that you can guarantee that your customers can buy every product that you sell, that they're not going to go somewhere and they'll have sold out, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of convenience and delight is kind of thinking about it across direct-to-consumer, across what someone like Amazon can do, but then maybe, you know, into, you know, your kind of third-party retailers as well. Okay, so, so convenience and delight, that's all great. Um, so... Becca, over to you. Point number two, deliver winning pre- and post-sale digital customer service. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we kind of touched on at the beginning, that especially um, with the pandemic, having much more of a skewed towards digital, I think, you know, exactly the same with that customer service as well. You know, it's really about important to think about where people want to receive that customer service and to make sure we're there. I think social media has absolutely taken the forefront of that. You know, we're seeing obviously a huge, huge increase in the amount of people using um, social media, um, you know, over the last 18 months. But I think, you know, we're seeing stats like 54% um, of customers prefer to use social media for customer service over, um, over phone or email. You know, I think there's definitely that, um, you know, we talked about those instant experiences earlier with that kind of product fulfillment, but actually that kind of customer service as well, people expecting a response on social media within an hour. Um, you know, I think the flip side of that, that, um, you know, if you do fulfill that experience and you do deliver really good customer service online or via social media, you know, there are stats out there saying that people spend between 20 to 40% more with that company. So actually being able to fulfill that for people is really, really important. I think the first step of that process is really understanding your audience and understanding where they are and where they want to be getting that customer service from you. 
Um, so, you know, thinking about is it um, is it on social, is it live chat, is it email, is there, um, you know, self-serve that you need to be looking at. And I think really that goes back to um, the process that we always look at and really starting with the audience and really looking at insight to understand, right, what is best for the audience, not, not necessarily coming at it from a first point of view of what is best for the company, but actually where does our audience really want to be talking to us. So you know looking at things like social listening um you know when people are online talking about your products what kind of platforms they're using is that where they want to be engaging or talking um, to you looking at what competitors are doing as well so thinking about what channels are they delivering customer service what can we learn from that but actually stepping outside of competitors as well and going right what are kind of best in class brands doing um, I think, you know, reading a lot of reports out there, loads of places like, you know, we mentioned Mintel earlier, but thinking about Gartner, McKinsey, Nielsen, work, all of those places do a lot of reports, which would be very customer-centric about where our audience are and where we should be fulfilling those experiences, or really, um, you know, taking it to that next level, and we uh, mentioned BWI right at the beginning, um, which is a great tool, um, uh, an audience panel tool, similarly YouGov, and pay tools that can really give you insight into exactly where your audiences are on that purchase journey. Um, and then finally, really thinking about your kind of own analytics as well and your own data. What does GA tell you? What does your social data tell you? Where are those audiences or where are they coming from? Or what pages are they landing on your website? And really thinking about, right, actually, would it make more sense to, you know, if they're all coming from Twitter, would we be able to deliver that customer service in Twitter, removing that kind of extra step or friction for them? Um, so I think that's the first thing that we would really be thinking about, where are they and where can we deliver that? Um, and then I think it's kind of really understanding, I guess, the kind of key principles really when it comes to customer service. Um, and I think there's some really great examples of brands that do it really, really well. I'm sure all these guys can chip in as well, but I think you know, making it really, really easy. So I think some examples that I noted down are kind of Uber, delivery. I'm a Gusto customer, so if I'm not happy with something that's in my Gusto box, I can go onto the app, say I'm not happy with it, and they'll refund me right then and there. I don't have to call up someone to say that a pack of tomatoes is squashed or whatever. Um, you know, I'm getting that good experience, because yes, I can be bothered to do it on the app, but actually, am I going to call someone for like a 90 feet refund? Probably not. And that all builds up to that really good experience. You know, same with Uber. I don't know if anyone's request a refund through Uber, but that's super easy to do in app. You don't have to talk to anyone. And, you know, it's almost instant. And again, it's that kind of ease and convenience of not having to wait. You know, we're all going to have way waiting for 25 minutes on the phone to someone. Mind you, I bought a, 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 a very tasty Szechuan Chinese takeaway on Friday from Deliveroo, and they forgot the rice. Well... What do you do? What would you do in customer service? Because they said, we'll refund you the £3.50 for the fried rice. I said, it rather spoils the whole meal yeah. without the rice. Mm-hmm. So eventually, eventually I got a full refund, which is great. Exactly. For me, it's brilliant. So it would be custom. Yeah. So thinking about you coming back. Um, so I think that's really, really important, making it super easy. And I think, you know, probably exactly that as well, thinking about the context of what people want from customer service as well. You know, like I say, I'm not going to call someone to get an ITV refund, but I might do it on an app. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think another example I had recently, and I bought a bit of, I'm, I'm not, well, I've often been at home in my studio and I bought this kind of really fancy bit of studio equipment. And 
I kind of got my UPS tracking tag and was getting really excited. And then I, fo I followed my parcel going from Hungary to Latvia, then to France, to Paris Charles de Gaulle. And I thought, right, Paris Charles de Gaulle, Leeds Bradford Airport, it'll be here tomorrow. And then it went to America and it spent the whole weekend at the UPS hub in wherever that is, I can't remember, somewhere, somewhere in America. But anyway, I spoke to the company about it and they were, and, and the, what, what was interesting about it was they were really, really interested in hearing that. And, and I think that not often would do, they'd just get an angry customer going, where the hell's my stuff? And I said, I went on a bit of a holiday and they went, really, what, what do you mean by that? So I told them, they were, they were like, oh, right, okay. And they worked something out about their fulfillment system yeah. and they said, right, great, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, take your customer care really seriously because you're, you know, you get, get a happy customer, they'll be really helpful. Yeah, well. totally. And I think that's another really important point about building, you know, customer service into your experience as well, you know, using using it as that kind of feedback. I think we've talked about them before, but Glossier are a kind of really interesting company when it comes to that. They're completely DTC, so... No, they don't. Um, they don't use any retailers, and for them, that means that they can own that whole experience. Um, but I think they're an really interesting company because they actually integrate customer service into their marketing team. So it is not, you know, a lot of companies will have that as a kind of standalone, or they might use a kind of third party. But actually, they see it as really important, and they'll use their customer service team to inform the product team about what products they should be doing, and they'll use it to inform the marketing team. Um, you know, they do things like, and if anyone's bought Glossier, their kind of sweatshirts were very cult item and they kind of recognised that and started selling them um, on their store. So I think that's really, really important. And it means that you can kind of own that relationship with the customer. But it's kind of thinking of customer service as not that kind of afterthought of, oh, we've got to just spend money on really angry people. But actually, you know, how can we improve that whole experience? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the first big websites I ever did back in the day, um, and it was for Heinz, H.J. Heinz, baked beans, all that kind of thing. And um, and I said, can we talk to the customer care team? Because I'd really like to know what people ask about. Because, you know, customer care, a.k.a. FAQs, a.k.a. all the most important content you could put on your website apart from your product information. And they were like, no one's ever wanted to speak to them before. We were like, well, we do, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, customer care, close to marketing, really important. Okay, so we talked about convenience, we talked about customer care. I'd have loved it if we'd have another C, but well, we are going to hand over to Craig and you're going to talk about then a loyalty and reward programme and why we think that that is the next important part of the puzzle. Yeah, um, so especially in sort of e-commerce or digital sort of driven world, a, a big way to drive, you know, these secondary sales and, um, you know, real relationships with your end users and clients, to be honest, is, is things like loyalty and rewards programs. We see these sometimes done really well, and we sometimes see people do them and they're not doing much of the data. Um, but, you know, we've got a stat here from Accenture, which says like 90% of companies have some sort of loyalty program. Um, and 15% of con consumers are actually more likely to buy from a brand if they're part of that loyalty program and enrolled in that. So, you know, in terms of how you could or, um, enroll or, or implement something like that it can be actually quite simple um, you know it, it can be as simple as you know when a user just checks out or you know when they first sign up to your website actually enroll them in that loyalty program um, and it's all really just about building a, a single view of a customer really so you're collecting this data you understand all these touch points of when they're interacting with your systems and services so that you can start building up this single view and understand like the buying practices the behaviors and start to like pattern match a little bit um, 
But a company that does this well, really, to be honest, will, you know, be able to look at the various forms, they'll be able to tailor offers for people, they'll be able to, you know, map the results to special promotions. Um, and it's collecting that data, you know, can be as simple as just having it in a website. It can be as simple as moving it into a CRM system, but having that single view is really going to allow you to, like, look at the lifetime value of your your clients and segment them based on that, you know, you can segment based on demographic and so on. But if you can understand the types of customers that you've got and where they are, the products that they buy, it's then much, much easier for you to then make suggestions to other people. I know we mentioned recommendations and stuff before. Um, so in regards to like sort of ideas and, you know, how, how you can drive adoption, I guess, of, of these enrollment programs, um, loyalty and rewards and stuff, a really powerful one to be honest is customer referrals. Um, you know, 84% of people would trust recommendations from people that they actually know. And we've actually got an example of this. Um, but sort of word of mouth means means a lot um, on top of like the brand recognition as well. But especially if, you know, you're a up-and-coming online retailer or something like that, word of mouth can, can mean a lot. Um, and good customer service experience heavily impacts those recommendations as well. Um, so consumers who rate a company service has got a 38% more likely to actually recommend that company. Um, and then the second idea, um, or one that we've seen utilized well, to be honest, and we've got another example of this is personalized timed offers and promotions. So again, that comes back to that single view of the customer, having all of the order information, seeing when they're actually interacting with your services. But the more you know about them, the more personalized you can actually be. And using, you know, a little bit of nudge theory, things like push notifications, emails, and so on. Mm-hmm. If you can establish a the perfect time where you can actually send somebody an email to get them to re-engage with you in regards to like a timed offer. It can really help drive them back on that system and just have them, you know, potentially check out again. Um, so some examples of this, to be honest, um, and this, this is one that I use quite a lot, but Uber Eats. So Uber Eats, um, you know, when we talk about sort of cost per acquisition and stuff like that, Uber Eats seem to be really, really comfortable with this idea. They offer every single new client. £10 off every new registration. Your first order, you can get £10 off that. But what they've started, to be honest, is almost replace this idea of you going to a restaurant and getting the stamp on there for going back. Um, and they've started to produce like a digital reward system where if you go to the same place again and again and again, eventually you will get um, a discount from the place, whether it's a free meal or so on. But they also do the, the sort of uh, time-limited um, personalised offers really, really well. So every now and again, a couple of months, I'll get like 50% off but I've got a time window to do that, which gives me a sense of urgency and actually encourages us to use it a lot more. Um, and then also, um, we work with a couple of these clients, but like pet food subscription services. So a lot of these up-and-coming brands are really trying to drive this message from that they're natural, they are better for pets, but the premium as well. And obviously premium means that's more expensive. So what they'll do is they really rely on customer referrals. So I've referred a lot of friends and then received 50% off my next order, uh, which means that I refer again and again and again. But then what it means is that once the people I've referred receive that and they understand actually the quality is there, it is better for the pet, um, and it is of a higher quality, it's worth that cost versus the off-the-shelf brands that they might have been using in the past. So those were just two examples, to be honest, of where yeah. we've seen sort of the time-limited sort of urgency where you're encouraging somebody back on your platform, but then also a customer referral scheme, which works really well. Yeah, great. Um, and... Um... I, I did one the other day. Um, I got an email from Deliveroo and it said, "Sign up to if you if you've got Amazon Prime that you could sign up to Deliveroo Plus 
for free. Yeah. It was a bit clunky linking the two accounts together, but um, I thought, you know, you get a different um, different splash screen when you open up Deliveroo, like the, the kangaroos are different colour and you're like, oh, this, sound, this feels good. So that was quite, quite interesting. So, so exactly what you're saying and then, yeah, you know, get like you do, like you do with Uber Eats. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to what new levels of promotions are going to get fired at me with Amazon Prime together with delivery. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I think what was really interesting there, Craig, was what you mentioned this idea of actually, you know, that you know, customer ex- customer experience is a, a big influencer in, in referrals. And if you have a good re- customer experience and make that referral, you know, the dream is around the brand. You build loyalty and advocacy amongst the community. And what you what you almost described there was a community of people that just refer everybody, but because the experience was good enough. And if you go back to the very first point we said around experience and convenience being not equally, not more important, but definitely a key driver as price. You've kind of just described all of that, but you know, without the overall experience of being able to order a subscription service, it turns up on time. You wouldn't have, the loyalty scheme wouldn't have worked, and you yeah. wouldn't have been able to overcome maybe a slightly higher price point, but the experience of it was better. So, arguably, me, you've just summarised everything we're trying to say there. That because what we do want to end up at the end of that, Paul and Becker is. Brand brand advocacy. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think when when you've done all of that and um, you know you're thinking about loyalty, I think I think the fourth part. You know, we talked about convenience, customer care, loyalty, and the final bit is about what role does brand play in this sense. So, yeah. Becca. Yeah, I think it's kind of um, we were talking about earlier where we kind of firing sharps available, so you know it's really two things you need to look at: your kind of physical availability, which we talked about earlier, that kind of distribution, and is it getting it through delivery, is it getting it at Amazon Prime, does it subscribe and say what Amazon, but that kind of mental availability as well, and um, we talk about this a lot, the kind of making sure that someone is familiar with your brand before they need to go and buy your brand, so you're not starting from nothing when they um, do need to buy that, so I think, um, you know, there's some really interesting stats out there about how, you know, even things like click-through rates are much, much better for um, known brands and you've kind of got that one leg up. So I think that's really, really important thinking about developing that brand and that kind of advertising to kind of get lodged in someone's head before they even know they need you um, is really, really important. Um, but I think as well, it's really um, about building that brand and having a clear proposition. I think a lot of um, the brands that we've kind of mentioned today, ASOS, Amazon, Uber delivery, they have a very, very strong proposition, especially when they started. Um, you know, and they had a very clear place in the market. Um, and I think, you know, it's thinking about your functional benefits as a brand, but actually your kind of emotional effects as well. And that's really um, the key to growing that brand in the long term, thinking about, you know, what is special to your customers, what makes you unique in the marketplace. Um, I think we've talked about before kind of emotional payback. How are you going to make someone feel, you know, how are you going to build that connection with your audience? And, you know, I think Amazon's a really interesting one for that because it started being purely functional. And if you think even the website now is pretty lovely, it's very much focused on that kind of functional aspect. But you start to see that it starts to do much more emotional advertising. You know, who thought we'd see the day when Amazon would enter into the Christmas advert fight? You know, was it the ballerina? Last year, the ballerina dancer wasn't it last year that couldn't go and perform because it was COVID, so she was in there. You know, you know, I mean, they're going up against John Lewis with that now, aren't they? The kings yeah. of emotional advertising. Um, so I think that's a really, really important thinking about how you know you get all of that 
um, fulfillment right in terms of distribution and getting people to pay, whether that's Klarna and you know thinking about returns and all of that customer service. But actually, how do you develop that emotional relationship with the audience? And you know, we know that can be very, very powerful stuff. Um, and I think I just noted down. I don't know, Paul, you want to go get your favourite quote from Aviva when recognising your brand. Yeah, that was uh, it was something that the, uh, Aviva had a new uh, marketing director come into role last year, and they said, um, you, you know, this is a quote: "We want to weaponize the brand. It is that commercial weapon that will help us grow." When a customer thinks about something in our category, and you have that empty Google search bar in your head, who's popping up first? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's you know that, that within the whole the whole of all of this, if you can be keeping Top of mind, constant, always on, prompting, building what people think about your brand, then you're tipping the scales on every single one of the other metrics that we're talking about um, because it all comes together to kind of make it make something in, in your in your customers' heads of what you what what they what they what they imagine the brand experience is and what the reality of the brand is to them. Okay, great. Right, that, that was great, guys. Thank you. Uh, and just to kind of recap, so. We talked about convenience, um, you know, make it easy to buy, pay, all of those things. I added in and a bit of delight. So convenience and delight. Um, I always like the idea of delighting people, you know, give them, make something unexpectedly easy or, or, or satisfying or rewarding. Um, we talked about the importance of customer care, uh, being the channels that people need to be, use every single data point you can to learn about that and get your customer care team close to your marketing team. Um, we talked about loyalty and a, and a few of the techniques for that. And I think that this, you know, the, the idea of the power of recommendation is so important and make it easy for people to recommend, you know, um, user get user schemes, um, you know, subscription schemes, those kind of things are brilliant. And then finally, don't, don't in all of that neglect your brand because the brand is the thing that is the glue that holds it all together. So um, I hope everybody enjoyed that today. Um, thank you very much to the uh, panellists. And um, yeah, we'll see you for another brilliant uh, masterclass, same time next week. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.